it really started to crystallize, I think, when I was feeling incredibly stressed through that work. And I was really experiencing burnout as a social worker. And I was decorating the first house that we've owned as a family. And going through that process of sort of understanding what made me feel better and what made me feel more stressed. Welcome to My Garden, My Life, the podcast that inspires you to grow with your garden. I'm Sarah Layton, founder of Growthfully, and my mission is to inspire and support you to enhance your life and mental health by growing your ownership of that precious space outside your home. When we make space in our lives for ourselves, anything is possible. I share conversations with people who inspire me, who have a passion for their garden, plants or flowers which enhances their life. And I do this because I want to inspire you to get out there and give it a go, gain confidence, make the changes you want to your garden and feel the joy that comes with taking ownership and action out there. Your garden, balcony, window boxes even, can literally change your life. Biophilia is defined as the innate human instinct to connect with nature and other living beings. And today's guest, Emily Wheeler, founder of Furnishing Futures, social worker and interior stylist, is passionate about using its principles to create homes and workplaces that support and enhance our lives. Emily describes accompanying her mother, aged five, as she skip-dived. She was a woman before her time, rescuing plants that had been discarded by city firms and bringing them back to health at home, creating an inspiring and nourishing environment for her family in the process. The apple obviously doesn't fall far from the tree, as Emily is passionate about using nature in design and creating spaces which are sustainable and look after the planet, all subjects after my own heart. And we start by exploring biophilia, what it is, how to use it, and how it can support us, and move on to exploring how Furnishing Futures came about and what help she needs to keep moving it forwards. Please do listen to the end, as there are ways you can help. If that's not possible, check out the link to her Just Giving campaign in the show notes on my website. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. So hello, Emily. How lovely to have you here. Hi, Sarah. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Oh, well, we had a lovely conversation the other day when I, I reached out to you because I really liked the sound of what you were writing about. And you were writing about using biophilia in interiors and I wanted to find out more about that it's a it's a slight departure from my usual content on the podcast but it feels really relevant and I wonder if you'd like to introduce yourself before we start getting into the into the subject sure um so my name's Emily Wheeler and I work in interiors so I'm an interiors writer and stylist and an interior designer and I'm very passionate about biophilia so using nature in design and in how we create the spaces that we live and work in and about how that ties in with sustainability and looking after the planet so yeah that's that's the connection um, about bringing the outside in and how we use plants in nature to support our well-being at home 
So if I was to ask you what biophilia is in a little bit more depth. So the word biophilia means innate attraction to nature and natural processes. So it's referring to the way in which humans respond to nature and to the processes within nature and how we are part of that ecosystem and we need to be part of nature and in harmony with nature in order to stay healthy and well. So Mm -hmm. biophilic design is how we use that connection to nature in design, so particularly in architecture and interior design, to help with things like reducing stress, getting enough rest, feeling better in terms of our sleep. It can even affect things like how well we eat and generally how we feel. So it's actually really important to understand that if we're going to design spaces that support our well-being. So it's not just about how a space looks aesthetically. It's about designing a space that supports our mental, emotional and physical health. And that's really through nature. And a lot of that is to do with plants, obviously, and and how we use plants and how we use natural materials in our homes and in our workspaces. Yes. So obviously our lived environment and the spaces that we live in have a big impact on our health. A home or a work environment can help us to feel relaxed and comfortable or it can make us feel stressed and a lot of biophilic design is about reducing stress and about the beneficial impact that that has as a knock-on effect on our mental and emotional and physical health so for example thinking about stress stress accounts for most work-related bad health poor health most days off work are for stress but we're under not only stress from work, but also urbanisation, living more in cities and towns and buildings and exposure to technology. And all of these things cause us physical and emotional stress. But what we know is that when we spend time in nature, there's an extraordinary reduction in stress. And so it's about bringing nature into the home and into our workplaces so that we can feel calmer. And the impact of that is that numerous studies have shown that bringing plants inside, but also having more natural materials like more wooden surfaces, more wooden floors, wooden panelling, wooden furniture and so on, all has a, a reduction in stress for us. And interestingly, with that comes, you know, lower blood pressure, reduced incidences of anxiety and depression, and some really positive impacts on our well-being. And so designing biophilically is about thinking about all the elements of nature and plants. So in a way, it's thinking, if a plant can thrive and survive in this environment, then so can a human. And you're looking to replicate that inside your home. So It's also not just about bringing more plants inside and having things like living walls, terrariums, hanging planters, wooden surfaces and so on. But it's also more holistically about nature. So it's thinking about, do we have enough natural light coming into this space? Could we include perhaps an open fire so that we can see flames or the element of water somehow? What smells do we have in our homes that make us feel reassured and calm? So you might be thinking about lavender, jasmine, things that you can smell in your home. But 
generally thinking more along the principle that if plants or, or nature can survive and thrive in that space, then those are conditions that are good for humans to thrive. And that's got to be good for our well-being. So we innately respond to whether a space is, is, is safe and, and nurturing or a physical threat. And, and that ties back into what I was saying about the built environment and buildings, because actually it's very unnatural for us to be living in cities with no access to plants or natural space, with poor natural light. You know, we spend something like 95% of our time indoors, and that was even before the pandemic. Absolutely. And it makes me think about the projects that are bringing gardens into hospitals. And I did a, I did a, I did a recording with Sue Stewart Smith, who wrote *The Well Gardened Mind*. And she visited a project. I think it was in Finland or Sweden, which was all, which was a rehabilitation centre, and it was all about using nature for rehabilitation. Yes. What it makes me think is, is, and I, and I know this is one of my, you know, if I ever have to visit a hospital. They're just such terrible environments compared to what you're describing. All the principles you're describing about natural light and surfaces that reflect nature are the opposite of white corridors and big lights and no windows. And Well, in, interestingly, there's some research that showed that found that being treated in a room where there was natural light as opposed to strip lighting within a hospital setting reduced the need for pain medication by 22%, which is a huge, huge. amount. And then add in a tree. Absolutely. So you can see from your window. Absolutely. I, I remember when my son was born, there was a ceanothus plant in a pot, mm. big pot with ceanothus flowering outside my window, extraordinarily. And it just made the most enormous difference. Yes. To, I'd had a caesarean and, you know, it was... It just made the most enormous difference to how I felt being stuck in that room. Yes, having a view of nature from our home or our workspace is really beneficial and really important. And that's another key element of working biophilically, connecting the inside to the outside and making sure that we have a view of nature and that where where we are surrounded by nature, that we frame those views of nature. And that's something through my research, you know, and having travelled a little bit, that's something that the Japanese do so well. So I don't know if you've studied Japanese gardens. But I haven't studied them, but I mean, I'm familiar with seen them. Yeah, they'll, they'll always have, you know, um, reference to a, a view and framing a particular plant or a particular structure so that you can see through different spaces and see, you know, the beautiful tree or the beautiful water feature or whatever it is. And see the seasons changing. Absolutely. And and from those buildings that are set within the garden, so often the ones that I've visited were temples, you'd look out through a veranda or through a window and there'd be a very beautifully considered view of nature, which is very calming and restorative. So definitely having plants and and being able to see gardens is is really beneficial in, in those settings. Absolutely. And interestingly, the same with schools. So, again, research has shown that children are really calmed by having um, trees and plants and wood within their learning environment. And yet hardly any of our schools have got 
plants or, or wooden surfaces inside them. But again, there was a, I think it was in Scandinavia, a beautiful school that was all inside wooden panelled. And the research that was done in, in that school also showed that those children were much better able to learn, to concentrate, and were generally calmer and happier than children who have to sit in these very sterile environments with lots of you know straight lines and hard surfaces that it made a huge difference to children's well-being as well and it's not rocket science is it no I know well when when you say it it seems so obvious and yet for some reason you know hardly any of our buildings are designed like this you know I think we're really on the back foot when it comes to understanding the impact that designing like this can have on on people's productivity on their health and the general well-being and happiness absolutely to have plants around us inside and outside to be able to see them and to be able to be in healthy environments is so important and it's fascinating I think I said to you when we spoke last time that one of the reasons I'd reached out started thinking about interiors was that very often I see someone's done something really spectacularly beautiful and contemporary in their kitchen, often, living space. And they have these enormous bifold doors. And then the garden is a flat lawn with some brown fences. Mm, an afterthought. Well, it's not even been thought about. It's or Maybe they haven't got there yet. But it's certainly this framing, which is so important and which we are all wanting to do, needs to be framing something, doesn't it? Yes. Yes, it does. And it's a really, it's a missed opportunity if you've got these beautiful doors that that offer you a huge view and so much light and then you're not looking out. I mean, I think, yeah, I think I was saying to you, I think a lot of people get, you know, they prioritise the house and the interior and then they don't quite know where to start with a garden and maybe they're worried it's going to be expensive or difficult or they don't know how to do it. But actually, it it has such a huge impact on your on your well-being when you're even in your home if you can see a beautiful garden and then we need to think of it as being like another living space it's another room it's an extension of our house isn't it it's an extension of our it's, home. it's often the largest space I mean you can hear I'm getting onto a bit of my hobby horse here it's often the largest space that we own in our homes and I think for those reasons you, you mentioned, people have, don't know where to start or are afraid it's going to cost too much. Or I think there's a sort of attitude that I should be able to design my garden, you know, do my garden myself. We're, we're a nation of rose growers, you know, that's sort of a, a thing and anybody can grow. And of course, that really is true. But it's a bit of design doesn't go amiss in terms of turning a space into something functional and attractive year round so that it it enhances that beautiful kitchen that you've just created absolutely absolutely I think we need to give as much thought to our gardens and garden design as we do to our interiors and and again I think we need to be thinking about how those spaces make us feel and how they can improve our well-being and not only improve our well-being but contribute to the regeneration of the natural ecosystem so some rewilding you know just having a lawn from one type of grass or you know my bugbear is plastic lawns which oh my god 
Well, they're a stage even worse, aren't they? Yeah, because of the environmental impact, you know, that really concerns me. And yet we've got a huge opportunity if we can rewild gardens and, and grow plants and create spaces that support insects, that support nature, that support the natural regeneration of the ecosystem, then you know, that could be really transformative because actually our country has got one of the most depleted natural ecosystems in the world. And yet you would think that England and the UK is a very green country. But what we actually know is that because of agriculture and intensive agriculture and building, that actually we're facing a a real natural crisis um, Mm. here. And we need to be thinking about what we do in our homes in terms of sustainability, but more what we do in our gardens and our green spaces and how we support the regeneration of nature by by how we design and plant those outdoor spaces. So it's a, it's a, it's a whole way of looking at how we live in the world and in the environment, but also how by respecting and nurturing that in return, it nurtures us and helps us to feel better. Well, well, that was what I was just thinking. I've got this large lawn which we inherited with the house. It came when we when we bought the house. And I've been gradually reducing it and replacing it. At the moment, the, the replacement is with annual meadow seed mix because I, I'm not ready. I want to, we want to do an extension and I'm not ready to do the layout of the garden with proper planting yet. But the pleasure... You know, my my meadow beds are a bit browned and a bit flattened and the, there's flowers in them, but not very, they're few and far between now in the you know, end of November. But the pleasure of walking on my path to my studio walks through, the beds are next to it, so much more pleasurable than trotting across the flat piece of lawn which we know is really, really not improving habitat Absolutely. at all. Absolutely. And we can only allow areas where, you know, and the worst thing, plastic is one thing, but green, this idea that the lawns need to be green and that we should be eating and weeding and doing all of that with artificial poisonous substances is not supporting our wildlife and improving improving the natural world at all or the environment no absolutely absolutely i think it's a way of it's a way of approaching design and it's a way of approaching our environment and i think it applies just as much inside and outside so similarly you know thinking about what chemicals we use in our home how we clean our homes what products we buy what furnishings we buy and just trying to incorporate things that do less harm to us and the environment and by doing less harm to the environment as you say they're doing less harm to us absolutely a little break in the conversation to tell you about my garden coaching and design business growthfully which sponsors these podcasts because i'm passionate about sharing the love guiding and supporting other women to make the most of that precious space outside your door I help people go from feeling disappointed and frustrated with their outdoor space to creating a relationship with it in which they feel confident and satisfied. Instead of looking out the window and feeling sad, I can help you step outside into a place that lifts your heart, all without taking over. I offer a collaboration. I share my skills with you through coaching and design packages. And I'd love to help you. 
So if this sounds interesting, please visit www.growthfully.co.uk to find out more. I can't wait to help you. How did you get into all of this? (laughs) Well, I've always had a real interest just in sort of health and well-being. So my background is that I have been a social worker as well for about 20 years on and off. And I've gone back and forth between the two sort of disciplines. And for a long time, it felt like I was doing two completely different things. And then I started to realize that actually both are to do with Um, you know, supporting people to lead better lives, happier lives, healthier lives, empowering people to make beneficial changes in their own lives and well-being. And really it came about from thinking about the impact that many of the families who I was meeting through social work, thinking about the impact that their lived environment was having on their well-being. And particularly families who would be living on, you know, um, very urban estates or in very built up areas with no access to green space and joining the dots between that and, you know, poor mental health and poor social outcomes for people. And it really started to crystallize, I think, when I was feeling incredibly stressed through that work and I was really experiencing burnout as a social worker and I was decorating the first house that we've owned as a family and going through that process of sort of understanding what made me feel better and what made me feel more stressed and interestingly and a lot of people say this when they start to learn about biophilia I realized that I was intuitively decorating in this way and it led me on a on a path on a journey to understand it better because I've always had a strong connection to nature and I desperately wanted to live in a home where I had a garden where I had an outside space and where we had access to nature so we came and we lived um, we bought our house rather um we live now somewhere where at the top of our road we can get into a forest And we can be in the countryside very quickly and we're in an urban environment, but it's very green. So we're on the edge of a city and I have I have our first garden. And as I was decorating, I started to study and research. I was reading a lot of garden design books, horticulture books. And I guess because my discipline has always been interiors, it led me to start researching and learning about how those principles affect us in our inside in indoor spaces and and interior design and I discovered that it's a whole discipline and it's been around for years actually and there's a lot of research and maybe being a social worker I'm fascinated by research I love to read something and know that you know there was a study that showed that this many people benefited from that and this is what we found and what I discovered was that you can't argue with the link between having a space that is designed in harmony with nature and that reflects nature and natural processes with increased well-being and much better outcomes for people in all settings. So in homes and, as you say, in hospitals, in schools. And so I started talking about it because I just thought we've got to get this out there. We've got to support more people to understand this, because if we can design better spaces like this and if we can design with reference to plants and nature, bring more plants into our homes, stop using such harmful chemicals and design spaces that really support our well-being, then it could have enormous social impact 
on so many people and improve so many lives. So that's, yeah, that's how I came to be doing this. <laughs> and did you already have, you said you'd, you'd already had an, uh, a real affinity with nature. And had you really already got an experience of looking after houseplants? Had that been something that you'd done in earlier years or... Yes. Um, well, I mean, I remember, it wasn't me looking after the houseplants, but I remember being five years old and my mum rescuing houseplants from office blocks. So this would have been in the very early 1980s when I don't think anybody was really paying attention to biophilia, not in any real sense. And we were living in London and um, in the city of London, they would create these huge, um, I don't know, you'd know the word, it's not a terrarium because that's inside a sort of jar. Um, 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 indoor yeah. indoor gardens, you know, with enormous plants, atriums, atriums thank you, yeah. Um, and that was, you know, all the rage in office spaces in the city. But as soon as a plant showed a brown leaf, or started, started to go slightly droopy, these plants were tucked into skips in the car parks. <laughs> um, my mum just loves plants, and she's an incredible gardener, so I learned a lot from her. And she would go around in our bashed-up car and fill it up almost weekly with the rejected plants from the sort of merchant and investment banks <laughs> in the city of London. And didn't realize that they should have been taking them home themselves I know well it was just devastating and I remember her crying when our neighbor chopped down a wisteria I mean she's got such a connection to plants that she feels you know devastated if she sees one that's being neglected or killed or you know she can't bear it so our home very quickly started to fill up you know we had monsteras and climbers going right up to the ceiling and across the windows and everywhere so I grew up in a home where there were a lot of houseplants and where the garden was the place that my mum would go to nurture herself so she was always in the garden and she still is now so I suppose I grew up with that and then I my first flat was in London and I didn't have a garden but I did everything I could to have green space so I had lots of window boxes I had railings and I got those window boxes that will hang off railings so that I could open the doors and have green outside and I grew houseplants there um so yeah I suppose I've always been surrounded by houseplants and gardens um and it's only been sort of quite recently that I've learned about propagating and you know, really, I suppose, properly looking after my houseplants rather than just growing them and, you know, experimenting with them now. I, I feel like I understand better what they so need. Finding, and yeah. yeah, Finding them the right habitat. Exactly, exactly, yeah. It's become such a big thing, hasn't it, houseplants? It has. It really yeah, has. Yeah, I've been a bit caught up in it. I'm done. And it's interesting because I've been growing an acorn Oh, I went lovely. to a house plant fair at the Garden Museum, um, I don't know, about a month ago between the lockdowns when we were allowed to do things. And I bought something called an acorn vase, which is the most beautiful flask, wide at the bottom with a narrow opening at the top, magnifying glass. It's beautiful. And it came with a germinated acorn, which I have been growing. It came with the teeniest, weeniest bit of root on it already. And watching those roots develop in this flask 
has just been a joy. It's just extraordinary. I mean, it's not as if I didn't know. And it was it, the other day I realised, oh, my mum always drew up, grew avocados. I'd never really... Yes. We always had avocados with a couple of cocktail sticks, holding them up over a jam jar. And I'm, you know, always behind the sink was this large collection of rather raggedy looking plants. And I'd forgotten that she did that. But recently I've been adding more and more plants in the house and into the bathroom particularly. I've got quite a large bathroom. Used to be a bedroom, so the space. And the pleasure of fiddling and talking to and tidying and watering and spraying. Yeah, so it's something very human, isn't it? I think it, it really does give us a real sense of well-being to nurture and grow something, an enormous sense of satisfaction. And I think it's, you know, it's not a trend, it's, it's more than that. I think people are starting to really understand that this makes us feel better. And I think the pandemic has brought that home very quickly. And I think it's something innate. I think it's that people are naturally drawn to having nature and plants around them. And we've all been stuck indoors. And so if we're stuck indoors and we can't get out into nature as we would want to normally by going to the park or wherever, I think it's been a sort of, you know, natural progression that we then are looking to bring plants more and more into our homes. Absolutely. I think it's an awakening rather than a trend. Yes, yes. It's like we've awoken to recognising this this thing that a lot of people have already recognised for a long time, but a lot of people just hadn't. And it's become mainstream, this awakening now, to the benefits of nature and growing and, and being close to things that grow and allowing them to actually have an impact on us and going to seek them out, bring them in, and all those different ways of interacting with them. There was an article recently, I think it got very lambasted, quite rightly, because I think it was in the Telegraph and it was written by a man, a white middle-class man, who talked about the fact that allotments were now popular with women because women, they were popular with people whose children had left the nest. Uh, You know, it was just such a discriminatory sort of idea that it's only been men who've been interested in growing stuff. Yes. It really got lambasted, this article, and quite rightly. And you're involved in Furnishing Futures. Tell us about this. So that came about from that experience of social work and, you know, making the link between people's lived environment and their and their life experiences and their mental health and so on. And I met a lot of families who were living in very appalling housing, you know, circumstances. We've got a real housing crisis in this country at the moment, and it's pretty hidden. I think a lot of people know about it, but the realities of it are pretty hidden. And I met a lot of people who didn't have basic items of furniture, so families who didn't have sofas, children with no bed to sleep on, people even without fridges, washing machines, all sorts of things, you know, because what people don't realise is that social housing, so housing association and council flats and so on, and often even private rented is given with absolutely nothing. So literally concrete floors, bare windows. And if you're on low income, it's very difficult and people are living in really appalling conditions and it's really affecting their well-being and their capacity to look after themselves and their children, to work, um, you know, to just 
function absolutely they've got nowhere to sit yeah and kids can't do their homework they can't learn at school because they're exhausted from sleeping on hard floors anyway it was really upsetting me because I was just seeing it all the time and so I, I've, I'm setting up what well, I'm hoping it's going to be a charity that's a long process but it's a community project at the moment to furnish the homes of families who are experiencing that and some of the way that I do that is through community donations where I live but that can be a bit problematic especially in the pandemic so more and more I'm building links with companies who again it's got a sustainability element there's a lot of waste in the industry in the interiors industry so I'm asking companies if they've got end of lines old stock seconds imperfects whatever it is things that they can't sell if they would donate them and then I'm giving those to families who don't have furniture and part of that is I'm hoping as well to be able to make links with plant distributors plant companies and it would be lovely further down the line to get some people involved in helping families who've got gardens and outdoor spaces as well and what so what do you need from people if people hear about this if they hear you talking well if anybody has got connections or does have a company um, who would like to donate plants or plant pots to families in need then that's something that's very welcome I've also got a just giving page so furnishing futures has got a just giving page where people can make donations because I'm just a tiny project and I don't have a fleet of vans and a huge warehouse unfortunately I can't go around picking up lots of furniture donations. So the way I work at the moment is I find out what families need and I go out and look for it in the local area and that reduces the need for transport. But obviously I hope to be able to grow and expand. But at the moment, that's how we're working. So if there's anybody who's got links to companies who would like to donate things, then that's really what I'm looking for at the moment. Sponsorship and, yeah, just general support and awareness raising, really, at this stage. And where are you based? Where is your local area? So I'm in northeast London, um, specifically in the London borough of Waltham Forest. So um, I'm supporting families here at the moment just for ease of practical things with the pandemic, really. But I do support families in the surrounding areas. And I've I've been really lucky to get some support from organisations that support social entrepreneurs. So I'm hoping that I'll be able to really get out there and make a big difference, you know, over the coming year and hopefully expand into more areas. I mean, I'd love it to be a national project at some point. The idea is that it's not just a furniture project giving the odd bit of furniture, but that we go in and we work alongside families like we would as a designer to give them everything that they need to create a home. So it's really about improving people's well-being, not just giving them the odd second-hand sofa or, you know, odd bit of furniture. DIY SOS, but for people, yes. it's got that kind of a quality, hasn't it? Yes. For people who haven't got what they need, rather than yes. people who are are dealing with some very difficult exactly life situation. Yes, and I and I generally I support families with children as well. That's that's the main group of service users at the moment. But obviously, it'd be nice to be able to expand that as well. Well, it sounds fantastic, and I did read about that before I discovered you. Oh, interesting. I think that was interesting, wasn't it? Yes, yes. How did you hear about it? I think I must have just connected somehow on Instagram. Okay. Because I was already following Furnishing Futures. Right, yes. I hadn't followed you. Right. When I, when I discovered you, 
I realised I was already following Furnishing Futures. Oh, interesting. Yes, yes. Well, both of them are me, but yeah, the Furnishing Futures. Yeah. Oh, lovely. Lovely. Well, thank you for your support. Oh, well, my pleasure. And maybe somebody will hear this and, and have something to offer. That would be um, lovely. I'll put all the links on the show notes. That would so be lovely. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to get plants into all the families' homes. I think that would make a really big difference. Absolutely. And, you know, listeners might have connections with furniture people too. Maybe Definitely. Definitely. Um, but yes, that sounds great, doesn't it? It would be really, really good to yeah. do that. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you very much. It's been a lovely conversation. It has. Thank you. You coming and, and talking about biophilia because it's something that's it's come into my awareness relatively recently. I, mean, I know what we're talking about in terms of well-being so deeply in, in the garden that I hadn't realised there was actually a discipline that took into the house and, and looked at materials and, and chemicals and as well as actual plants and there's so many layers to it aren't there there really are yeah it's absolutely fascinating and i shall definitely bear it in mind if we get permission to do our our extension when we get permission actually wonderful (laughs) (laughs) that would be really good all right well thank you thank you sarah it's been lovely thank you so much I so enjoyed that conversation at the time and listening back to get it ready for editing i love it even more Links to anything we mentioned, including the Furnishing Futures Just Giving campaign, are in the show notes on my website at www.growthfully.co.uk. And you can find Emily at her website, www.emilywheeler.co.uk, and on Instagram at emilywheeler.interiors and at Furnishing Futures. I'm on Instagram at Growthfully. If you've enjoyed our conversation, do please check out earlier episodes if you haven't already, as I've had some very varied and interesting chats with fascinating people. And if you like the podcast, please do leave a review. It's so lovely to read your thoughts and it helps other people find it. Until next time, 